This is Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the week's top news and get commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb about the governor's new COVID-19 mitigation efforts, the state's unemployment fund being drained, and how Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden's tax plan would impact Illinois taxpayers. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at thecentersquare.com, the country's fastest growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state focused news and information site. We deliver essential Illinois news and information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you want to get a quick update on what's happening at the state capitol in Springfield and across the state. Our team writes short, impactful stories that help all Illinoisans understand what's going on in their home state. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Our team covers government and the activity of elected officials so you can make sense of how their activity affects you and your family and your future here in Illinois. We know Illinois because we live in Illinois. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. Thecentersquare.com. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Here are some of the top stories from the past week. If anecdotes turn true, one in every four students may not be logging into remote learning. That could be more than 300,000 students going without education in Illinois in the era of COVID-19. Mark Kleisner, president of the Illinois Association of Regional Superintendents of Schools, said attendance rates for schools across the state doing full remote learning haven't been compiled, but he hears concerns. Another thing I've heard anecdotally is, is roughly like an average of about 25% of people aren't showing up. Kids are disengaged. In Springfield, District 186 Superintendent Jennifer Gill told the school board this week one of the district's 33 schools has a 97% attendance rate. But on an average basis, about 25% are not engaging. We have one school that only has 51% not engaging. Before COVID-19, the 2018-2019 school year carried the five-year average of 94% attendance statewide. Of 1.9 million students this year, the Illinois State Board of Education reported as of last month, more than 1.2 million students are in remote-only districts. Kleisner said he's hearing about one in four students not logging in for a variety of reasons. Kids don't want to turn on their screens because of things that may be happening in the home or not happening in the home or kids are choosing not to engage for a number of reasons based on the situation in which they live. But he said he also hears of other students who are excelling in remote classes. He said the hybrid model helps even more with remote learning. But Kleisner said the districts better prepare for another lesson as some schools return from full remote. Really trauma-informed instruction around um, helping kids get through this, like the strangest time we've ever known. Around 527,000 students statewide have a blended instruction model with remote and in-person. Only 158,000 students are given the in-person option statewide. Governor J.B. Pritzker doubled down Thursday on threats to go after liquor and gambling licenses if bars and restaurants disobey COVID-19 restrictions. 
Kevin Bessler has more. Numerous bars and restaurants in Regions 7 and 8, which is in northern Illinois, have publicly stated they will continue to offer indoor service despite the governor's orders. Some have even signed a list on social media. I'm sure that the state police will uh, go visit locations in Regions 7 and 8. They may use information like that to, to go to exactly those locations to see whether they are, in fact, scoff laws. Mitigation standards in Kane, DuPage, Will, and Kankakee counties go into effect today. The governor also is tightening restrictions in Region 1 in northwest Illinois. Gatherings are now limited to 10 people, and no more than six people can sit at a table at one time. I'm Kevin Bessler. Meanwhile, the governor claims restaurants and bars are among the places where people are contracting COVID-19, and that's why he's targeting them throughout the state. A state representative wants to see the raw data. Springfield Republican State Representative Mike Murphy used to own a restaurant and said businesses in his district are upset and possibly having prohibition of indoor service. He's sending a letter demanding the governor give up all the data behind the decision. Asking for them to share their, their data on contract tracers on why restaurants and bars are, are subject to this. They, they claim that they, they have a valid reason to do this. Well, show us the data. The Illinois Restaurant Association said the governor should fight for more federal funds for impacted businesses, something Murphy said would help, but... Programs and assistance is not the answer. We have to figure out how to uh, get back to normalcy. Murphy did say people need to do better at wearing face coverings and keeping their distance to work at keeping the number of COVID-19 cases from increasing. Meanwhile, the association says if the governor moves forward with prohibiting bars and restaurants from having indoor service because of increased COVID-19 numbers, tens of thousands of jobs would be lost. Just Thursday, the U.S. Department of Labor reported another 47,000 first-time unemployment filers, about level with the week before. Over the year in September, the Illinois Department of Employment Security reported nearly 131,000 fewer jobs in the leisure and hospitality sector. The Illinois Restaurant Association said if more prohibitions for indoor service happen, 20% of restaurants will close permanently with a loss of 120,000 jobs. Murphy said the old problems of people not getting through and getting benefits continues, and that's compounded by more reports of fraud. He's been demanding for months to have public hearings to hold the Pritzker administration accountable, but the Democratic majority isn't budging. And it's shameful that we cannot meet in Springfield and take care of the issues. You know, I, I've been calling on the General Assembly to meet since March. And I don't understand why we're AWOL during the biggest crisis of my lifetime. And the pushback continues from the latest round of business closure orders. Cole Lauterbach has that story. The governor's office announced Monday that suburban Kane, Will, and DuPage counties, along with Kankakee and 20 others across southern Illinois, would see indoor dining shut down and capacity mitigations of 25%. In the following days, dozens of restaurants, bars, and wineries announced that they would not obey the orders. The Huddle House in Metropolis is one that said they'd stay open. Manager Chris Dillman says their customers were asking them to stay operating. We have customers that come in and support us, and they've told us that if we stayed open, they would support us. He says their owner cares about safety, but also for the livelihood of his employees. We've got single moms here that work and work hard to take care of their children and men, but you know what I mean? They, and they depend on, on these jobs. So The Illinois Restaurant Association now opposes Pritzker's closure orders. I'm Cole Lauterbach. A couple of cities with the most requests for federal money held by the Pritzker administration continue to push for more to be released. 
The governor's administration captured $219 million in federal funds approved months ago. That's meant for local governments. Only 4% have been paid to local governments across the state. Decatur Mayor Julie Moore-Wolf said it's been frustrating the city hasn't had access to that money. Uh, the way it was set up in Illinois was kind of screwy because this is federal money that was supposed to come through to us to help us. She notes restrictions have eased on what money can be used for, allowing for police and fire costs to be covered. Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder said if they can get the entire allotment, it'll go a long way. But we believe the $4.8 million will be able to utilize that It'll be reimbursed to its full potential, and that will significantly offset uh, what we're experiencing on the budget side of things. Springfield's made the most requests of all cities, according to data from the Illinois Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity. Springfield's also gotten the most of all cities and made the most requests. $4.8 million is what they could get to cover all the costs, Langfelder said. For now, you can uh, get reimbursed for first responders uh, overtime and salaries. Before the change, more Wolf said that they were getting the runaround from the Pritzker administration. She said Decatur is trying to get $3.1 million it's allotted. The, the scary part for us was it, you had to spend the money first, then turn in the receipts, and then they tell you if, you, if these were eligible expenses. Um, so we have been in contact with DCEO a lot. You know, one person will say, yeah, that's eligible, and then another will say, no, it's not. Some local governments, like Algonquin, Huntley, Ottawa, Morris, and LaSalle, have claimed 100% of their allotment. Most cities received less than 1%. Some Illinois taxpayers could be paying nearly 60% combined federal and state marginal tax rates if Joe Biden's elected president and Illinois voters approve the graduated income tax. Jared Walzak from the nonpartisan tax foundation crunched the numbers as it is now in Illinois. Your top marginal all-in state and federal rate can reach 44.3%. Pretty high, but that's where we are right now. Walzak analyzed former Vice President Joe Biden's tax plan and said top federal rates go from 37% to 49.4% when including various proposals. If voters elect Biden and approve changing Illinois' flat income tax, one with higher rates and higher earners under the rates the Illinois legislature approved, Illinois' top rate would be among the highest in the country. For individuals, it reaches 57.26%. And for pass-through businesses, it gets just under 59%. The Tax Foundation says if Illinois adopts the state income tax change, then the state's business climate would sink to near the bottom of all states. Meanwhile, an opponent and proponent of the proposed change in income tax to one with higher rates for higher earners agree that it's a tax increase. During a debate hosted by Truth in Accounting over the proposed constitutional amendment, voters are being asked about this election. Center for Budget and Tax Accountability's Ralph Martiri urged the amendment be passed, while Illinois Policy Institute's Austin Berg was against it. Berg said voters should have gotten a chance to vote on things like term limits or fair maps or like a balanced budget uh, requirement or a spending cap or pension reform. But instead, they're going for the new money first. So I, I don't think that's that's rational. Although Austin, well, they're going for the new money. We agree that they're going for money here. I mean, this is this is a tax increase bill. I I, I agree with that. You agree with that, and I well, I don't disagree. Martiri said, in a non-COVID economy, the tax increase would be $3.4 billion a year without the burden being placed on the middle class. The rates aren't set by the amendment. And that's something Berg said gives too much power to politicians who break promises. The Illinois State Board of Elections says that they have a close relationship with social media companies to stop the spread of election misinformation, but not all misinformation related to the election. ISB spokesman Matt Dietrich told WMAY that Facebook in particular has been very helpful. 
They've done a lot to promote voter registration. They recently gave us a very generous amount of ad credits so that we could uh, recruit poll workers um, through through Facebook. He also said they have a direct line with other social media giants. We can directly report any social media mischief that we see. That those accounts can be taken down directly by Facebook, by Twitter, um, by Google. But not all misinformation will be reported by the state board. The Vote Yes for Fairness post using a Liz Uline imposter account has been shared nearly 200 times, while the more recent shares are from people urging to report the post for being false information. People who shared it used the post to support the progressive tax. One poster used the hashtag EatTheRich. Dietrich said that's not the kind of misinformation they work with social media companies to address. Dietrich said they only report disinformation about voting or the voting registration process. We can report that directly to Facebook as as disinformation and inaccurate information and potentially dangerous information if other people try to do the same thing. It's unclear if Vote Yes for Fairness posts have been reported. Vote Yes for Fairness and Facebook have not publicly acknowledged the message is misleading. Those are the top stories from the past week from Illinois. Find more online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan Michaela. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. everyone and welcome back to the Illinois In Focus podcast. This is the Crosstalk segment. I'm Chris Krug, publisher of the Center Square here in Illinois and joined as per normal by my friend and colleague Dan McCaleb, our executive editor. Dan, what is going on? And I'm starting to wonder if I need to get my snowblower uh, out and put my lawnmower away. As cold as it's been this week, I think we do have uh, a day in the 70s coming, but uh, uh it's not looking good. Well, that's supposed to be today. Today is October 22nd. It's a Thursday as we tape this. And um, yeah, it's supposed to be 70 degrees here. Uh, so far, that is not showing up. Um, wet and uh, dreary. Yeah, it's pretty dreary. Um, speaking of wet and dreary, uh, COVID <laughs> continues to uh, drip. It's... Uh, Effects across the state. Um, exactly. I'm working on it. You know, the the numbers aren't great. Um, testing obviously is is going through the roof at this point. Um, there are concerns, without question, um, among the science ish people that the convergence of flu season and the resurgence. I don't even know if it can't, can it really call, be called a resurgence? The prevalence of COVID-19 in combination uh, is going to start to put a, a, a heavy burden on the medical care systems that we have in place. And um, as a consequence, the state is leaning into a return toward mitigation it's showing up in a lot of regions around the state. Um, if you don't know what region you're in, it's okay. It, 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 it's it's all right. 
Um, we haven't started playing the hunger games yet here in, in, in Illinois. Um, so the idea of being in region one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or nine or 10 or whatever it is, is probably foreign to most of us. But, uh, the problems seem to be, uh, peaking in the Southern end of the state. Um, of course they were peaking over in the Metro East area, not too long ago. And, um, also, problems rockford over to the mississippi river so over to, to galena there seems to be problems there so dan what's the state doing about it yeah well, governor pritzker announced uh uh just yesterday that uh, new uh, restrictions are going to be put in place um in regions seven and eight which include kane dupage will and kankakee counties uh, region five, which is Southern Illinois, and these th these same restrictions are already in place in region one, which is DeKalb West to Whiteside. Uh, that's going to close indoor dining at restaurants. Well, guess what? We referenced the weather up front. Who's eating outdoors at restaurants um, in Northern Illinois uh, in late October and heading into uh, the, the winter months in, no in November? So essentially he is shutting down again, um, dining in at restaurants and bars um at a, at a at a time when um restaurants and bars are already struggling because of previous mitigation efforts and the restaurant association is uh is uh, not super psyched about this uh their members i'm sure are losing their minds and justifiably so i mean they've figured out a way to make you know their quote unquote hybrid model work with curbside pickup and outdoor dining and limited indoor seating um, the restaurants that are still up and open, I mean, they're, they're kind of, they're bumping along. And to be honest with you, I mean, I, I, I hope this is the way that everybody out there feels. I'm really rooting for the restaurant owners. I mean, I really, really am. I mean, you, we, these are some of like the purest entrepreneurs in the state. People literally put their lives into uh, a business that's their own, that provides some level of you know, release and joy for people. I mean, one thing I think all among all Illinoisans that we would agree on, while there are very few of those things, the idea of going out to eat is a really nice treat. And for that to be taken away, gosh, you know, that's just, it's just, it's going to be brutal for the restaurant owners here. I saw a statistic earlier today doing some research for the podcast. Uh, sixty percent of new. It, this is in non-COVID nineteen times, non-pandemic times. Sixty percent of restaurants don't make it past their first year, and eighty percent go out of business within five years. So re restaurants are already a tough bit business uh, to be successful in when you don't have restrictions, right. when you're not uh, when you're not prevented from having indoor dining. The restaurant industry in Illinois is going to be devastated if Governor Pritzker keeps putting new restrictions on open, shut, open, shut, open, shut. Um, what the industry is going to look like in the spring, I don't know, but you can bet um, a significant portion of restaurants that you used to enjoy dining at are not going to be open because of these um, continued mitigation efforts by the governor. Yeah. And, the, and the, you know, the, for the owners, I mean, obviously they, they, there's no, there's no safety net. For, for the small business owner. Um, but for the employees, you know, I mean, to, to be subject to the nonsense that exists within the Illinois Department of Employment Securities. I mean, holy cow. I mean, what if you just came out of that and you're going back into it? 
I, I don't envy anybody that's in that position. I, I'm, I'm very, very concerned, you know, so, for, for all those people. Yeah. So, so a couple things here. They, when these new restrictions go on in place, and we are in late October, it, it, the weather is turning uh, for the bad. Um, yeah, not many people are going to want to eat outdoors. So these restrictions on the restaurants that that, uh, that won't allow them to open their doors to indoor dining, it's it's gonna it's gonna crush them. I saw you shared, I think it was either last night or maybe it was this morning on Facebook, a Daily Herald story on uh, Gene and Giorgetti's and and Rosemont having oh. to close its doors. Of course, restaurants when they put them in these restrictions put in place, they can lay off employees. Of course, that's devastating for the employees themselves, but that. Um, th- that spares the restaurant owners some costs, um, but this restaurant in uh, in Rosemont, Gina Giorgetti's, um, was having a hard time paying his property taxes. The building uh, they're renting the building from the uh, the, the city of Rosemont, um, and they owe one hundred twenty thousand dollars in property taxes. So Rosemont's kicking them out. So they have to close the restaurant. Um, so it's not just employee costs, um, which you can so, kind of sort of manage in, sure. running, in running a restaurant business. There are so many other costs uh, associated with it. If, if half of restaurants um, close uh, by some point next year, that would not surprise me. Close yeah. for good, I mean. Well, I, yeah, and I don't, I don't disagree. And I mean, in, in the backdrop of this, you know, I mean, j- just to be clear, I mean, the, the state is reacting to statistical uh, values that they have deemed to be potentially dangerous to the healthcare system. I think we started a little bit down this road, didn't get, didn't really get too deep into this. Um, but, but uh, our Greg Bishop uh, reported earlier this week that from a capacity standpoint in, in hospitals, when it comes to like beds and ICU and ventilators, I mean, just beds alone, um, there are, is at least 50% capacity available. And and keep in mind that the other, the 50% that's occupied, and these are not all COVID related things. I mean, you know, the, the, the world has, you know, returned to some semblance of normal with regard to people using healthcare services. People are going, starting to go back and get, um, you know, annual physicals. I mean, we're, we're back in some cases to work so people are having workplace injuries. Uh, a good friend of mine uh, is getting his knee replaced uh, today. You know, I mean, the elective surgeries are there. So these beds, um, you know, when, when this bed number gets reported, um, th- this is not necessarily being driven exclusively by COVID that the healthcare system itself has kind of turned back on. And Here's the here's the thing that that I frankly I don't know, and I'm not sure if you know this either, Dan. I mean, and I don't mean to put you on the spot. What's the typical bed occupancy number in the state of Illinois in a in a non-COVID situation? I mean, yeah, that's, that's a very good question. Um, you know, back in March and and April and, and into May, the early part of this thing, when we didn't know as much as we do now about COVID-19 and its impact on um, uh, both the elderly and younger, healthier adults. Um, these restrictions were put in place to prevent uh, hospitals from being overwhelmed. But now, now, now we're October. We've got you know eight months worth of data. Now we know that when younger folks, and when I say younger folks, I'm not I'm, I'm talking about you and I who are in our fifties. Yeah, right. Um, but even younger than us, um, when when uh, uh, folks like us that are generally healthy, um, not you know over seventy years old, uh, COVID's impact are limited. Um, now, certainly, 
we have to do everything in, in, that we can to protect uh, the elderly and those with comorbidities um, um, because those are the ones who get seriously ill and um, and sometimes uh, uh, die from the disease. Yeah. Um, but I'm looking at this, the story that you, you referenced from uh, Greg Bishop here. Uh, there's about 35,000 hospital beds across the state. And as of October 17th, um, 2,000 of them, 2,000 of 35,000 uh, hospital beds, um, just 2,000, I should say, um, uh, were occupied by uh, people suffering from COVID-19. Um, so there still is huge capacity out there. Um, in, again, in March and April and May, when we didn't know much about it, um, it was probably not a bad idea to do what we had to do to make sure hospitals weren't, weren't overwhelmed. Our hospitals right. are not being overwhelmed right now. Right. It does not look like they are going to be uh, overwhelmed right now. Um, so th these continued shutdown orders, shutdowns of restaurants or whatever, it's going to devastate the economy. It's going to devastate the industry. It doesn't make sense. And that's the that's the that's the that's really the the frustrating part about this. I, you know, I mean, and we're um, I guess technically about like halfway through Governor J.B. Pritzker's uh, tenure uh, in office, his first term. Um, he has largely done this, uh, you know, taking on COVID on his own. You know, the legislature has had not a whole lot to do or say about it, and virtually. Every action that's being taken, you know, has been either um, an executive order or, um, well, I guess they would technically all be executive orders because, I mean, you know, you can't just simply make a mandate, um, you know, from a podium or from a lectern and have people comply. I mean, that's, I guess, is what would be called a suggestion. <laughs> so, you know, so, I mean, he's going to wear this. I mean, this is, this is. You know, as we think about sort of like, um, you know, the effectiveness of 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 leadership in the state of Illinois, uh, J.B. Pritzker is is carrying this thing on his own. Yeah. And, and it's it, comparing Illinois to other states. Uh, Illinois is a trifecta. And what I mean by trifecta, you've got um, d Democrats, one party control both chambers of the legislature, the House and the Senate, and ha and uh, have the sitting governor is also a Democrat. You take a look at other states like that. Legislatures are pulling back. I'll just bring in Ohio as an example. Uh, Governor DeWine is a Republican. Both chambers, the House and the Senate, are also controlled by Republicans. Well, Governor DeWine early on issued a number of executive orders. Well, the Republican legislature wanted to be involved and, uh, and demanded to be involved. You're not seeing that here in Illinois. No. Uh, Democrats that control both chambers uh, of the legislature are staying quiet. They're, they've disappeared. Um, they, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. They are the ones that represent uh, the people in their neighborhoods, in their districts. Right. Why would they not want to say? Now, some Republicans, of course, Republicans have no um, power uh, in the General Assembly. They're uh, super major, super minorities right. um, in both chambers. They are pushing back, but they're getting nowhere because uh, the Democrats, who have been elected uh, by their constituents, are are just putting their hands up and saying, governor's got it. Governor's got it. Yeah. And I mean, and, and I, I don't know that, that there's going to be a, you know, uh, or, or that there has been like a, you know, even a quiet behind the scenes outcry by the Democrats to get involved because house speaker, Michael Madigan is under this cloud of suspicion and, you know, has, 
you know, any number of uh, sort of uh, connections to what's gone on with the ComEd scandal. So he is not out in public at all. Um, he has been Greta Garbo for several months, hasn't spoken to really any meaningful issue that's going on in the state. And uh, largely what we're getting when we do talk to state legislature uh, members, uh, either Democrat uh, or Republican. Well, I mean, some Republicans have said, hey, we got to get this thing, you know, uh, you know, it, the, the people's business, uh, you know, get together and discuss it. Um, they haven't been super vociferous. And, and the Democrats have, you know, those who have spoken have, have really spoken on their own. And in some cases, for their own benefit, jockeying for position, you know, in anticipation of something that might be a post Mike Madigan uh, state legislature. Yeah, honestly, I don't know what to make of it. The people elected you to do a job and you're not doing a, your job. Um, by, by sitting on your hands and letting uh, Governor Pritzker make every single decision on his own uh, with, uh, with no input from either uh, legislative body. Um, it's, it's governor by authoritarianism. Yeah, it's, 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 and, 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 a, and a lot of Illinoisans are unsettled by it. Um, let's talk about the unemployment fund. And, and first, oh, I got to give you, Dan, I got to give you an update. And, and for the people that are listening at home. In, um, in the middle of September, I, I received a letter from the Illinois Department of Employment Security um, uh, informing me that, that uh, my unemployment claim um, was being reviewed, which would be I, really great if I was unemployed, uh, but it was a fraudulent uh, application that someone filed. And um, I called, you know, and got put on the callback list, which is the protocol that exists for anybody who's calling in. So if you're trying to understand you know, if you're not having gone through the unemployment process here in Illinois and you're trying to understand, like, how completely off the rails it is, you call in and you get in line to talk to somebody about your claim and then they put you on a list and they will call you back in the order in which your call was received. We've all experienced that. I mean, calling in for a utility bill or, a, you know, a, a cellular bill or cable or whatever the case might be. And usually... You get a call back in 15 minutes or an hour or maybe a couple hours if they're busy. Well, I didn't get a call back um, for nearly a month. Mm. And the, the call that I got came from a spam number. And, um, you know, because of my uh, my phone carrier, it basically flushed the call uh, before I was able to add the call to my um, to my phone to allow it to come in. I had received a second call from them. So like I wait a month and then I get two calls from them within like seven minutes or some crazy thing like that. And it, the second message said, call us back and, uh, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll work this out. So I call it back and I just went back into line at a new position. So I started over entirely again. And, you know, I figured, well, it'd be a month before another month before I hear from any, but then I received a letter that, you know, because I had indicated my case was fraudulent, that they uh, that they reviewed it and actually canceled it. I don't know why they couldn't have done that in like three days time when I originally called because there's nothing that my phone call that I never had would have done to influence anybody's thinking around that. Why did it take a month for me to get the, the letter? But at any rate, my issue is done. Now, I'm hearing from other people that businesses are being besieged by these fraudulent 
attempts to uh, to get unemployment. Don't know where these things are coming from, obviously. Um, but uh, you know, it's uh, it, it it is it is an absolute mess, and the way the state's dealing with it is not so great. But I wanted to talk about the unemployment fund. So if you actually do deserve um, or you know uh, are in line to receive unemployment funds from the state of Illinois, um, where's the money, Lebowski? What's going on there, man? Illinois, because of its uh, COVID-19 restrictions, um, closing businesses that Governor Pritzker has deemed non-essential um, and is continuing to open the valve, close the valve, you know, leading businesses such as restaurants to open and close, open and close. Uh, Illinois has paid out $16 billion in, in state unemployment benefits to more than 2 million people uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. Well, the fund to begin with didn't have $16 billion. We've already started borrowing money uh, from the federal government to pay these uh, mandated um, benefits. Um, we're going to probably have to continue borrowing. Uh, we're already into the billions. We're going to probably have to continue with, with Governor Pritzker um, continuing to put new restrictions on. That That's going to be more people are going to be unemployed, filing first-time claims. Um, that's going to mean we're going to need to borrow more money for the federal government. Well, guess what? That money has to be paid um, back. Who's going to have to pay that money back? Taxpayers. Yeah. Taxes, new taxes on businesses, new taxpayers, uh, new payroll taxes. Um, um it just gets worse and worse. So the you know the the last time I mean it's not like this isn't foreign to us here in Illinois, right? I mean during the Great Recession, Illinois, like a number of other states, had to had to borrow money to to you know via an emergency loan to you know help um, Illinoisans out of the Great Recession. And if you remember back to that time, they really, really, really open. This is during the Obama administration. They really opened up unemployment for long haul uh, benefits. I mean, ninety nine weeks. I re I remember uh, was the yeah, maximum right. at that time. You know, and so you know, I mean, it, and it was it was a tough time. You know that the you know the um, Clinton administration had created all these low cost loans, and then and then you know the financial um, services industry created all these like adjustable rate mortgages and things like that. And, you know, people were way, way, way over leveraged. Interest rates go up and people lose their houses. There was a glut of houses on the market. People weren't working. I mean, people were losing their homes. Um, it was an absolute disaster. But in that period of time, the state had to borrow $2.4 billion. And we don't have a handle on the number yet because the number here now in present day Illinois, that uh, continues to spin. Um, I it's mean, gonna, could, it's going to be much more than the Great Great Recession by the time we're uh, we're done with this. Um, could be as much as triple or even more than that. And that's just my guess, just based yeah. on where we're at, because we're yeah. we haven't gotten anywhere close to getting out of this yet. Well, it took us uh, six years to pay that up, to pay that debt back when we yeah. borrowed in twenty in twenty eleven. And and I, I imagine that that borrowing um, wasn't a one shot deal. That it was you know probably tranches of of uh, of money borrowed from from the federal government in the form of emergency loans. And of and, course, that's money that can't be used for, you know, vital day-to-day -day services. Can't be used on state police. Can't be used on education. Right. Um, it's 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 money we're giving away for nothing. Right. Right. That's a disaster. So, you know, as we tape this, you know, we are um, 
hours in front of what is scheduled to be the final debate between um, President uh, Donald Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden. That's taking place uh, at Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, the Center Square in Tennessee is going to cover that event live, which is really, really cool. We will, we will have a reporter there. Yeah, it's exciting. But, um, you know, er- earlier in the week, um, we got data from the Nonpartisan Tax Foundation about um, the Biden tax plan and what that would look like. And we were able to, you know, here in Illinois, take a look at that plus what might happen if the progressive income tax were to be passed here in Illinois. And the numbers, my goodness, are staggering. I mean, this looks like we're moving to France. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, with the Tax Foundation's help, we were able to pull together, um, if Biden is elected, and also on the ballot uh, on November 3rd, or if you're early voting now, um, is the constitutional amendment here in Illinois to change our constitutionally protected flat income tax system to a progressive one where uh, higher earners pay higher rates. And if you if, if that passes and if Biden wins and enacts the tax policies um, he says he supports, um, uh, the, some Illinois taxpayers could be paying nearly 60% in combined federal and state uh, taxes. Um, so 60% of your income, you, you go and work a job, uh, you make so much money, 60% of that money that you earned goes straight to the state and federal government in terms of taxes. So basically, you know, I mean, if you look at it like this, you know, if you start working on January 1st and and you, you hammer your way through like, say, um, the end of August, you would have covered your tax liability at that point to the state and, and, and to federal uh, income taxes. And then you could keep the money that you made in September, October, November, and December, right? I mean, that seems fair. That seems completely reasonable to me. You know, it's what it's going to do, of course, if, if both of these two things happen, um, if, if either one of them happens, it's going to affect jobs. Jobs are going to be lost. Small business owners are going to have to figure out a way um, uh, to cut expenses. First thing that goes is jobs. But if both of these things happen, oh my gosh, they up the 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 damage to the the overall economy. Um, talk about, and of course, we're in a pandemic where unemployment is high, significantly higher than it is during normal times. Um, we who knows if we'll be out of the pandemic um, when at, uh, at what point after the election we'll be out of the pandemic. The 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 three things combined will be devastating. It's a lot. That's a lot of stuff going on right there from a taxation standpoint, and you know, I'm just I'm just not sure that everybody is processing it. You know, in in uh, putting the parts together to to see the the whole, and meanwhile, you know, that doesn't take into account, you know sales tax, which depending on where you are in Illinois can be crazy. If you're buying like, you know, if you buy, a, if you buy a, a, a bottle of water or a, um, maybe water is not a good example because I don't remember exactly how that one's taxed, but I think it's taxed similarly to other things that you would buy at a convenience store. But a, a dollar bottle of water in the city of Chicago costs you a dollar 11. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's crazy. We're already paying, 
you know, what is it? Almost 40 cents a gallon on a gallon of gasoline. Otherwise our, our gas prices, which have been for the most part, like really very reasonable during the, during the Trump era, fuel prices across the United States are very, very good. Um, but we're paying 40 cents, 39 and a half cents or some crazy thing like that. 38 or 38 on every gallon of gas that we buy. So if you're paying, you know, 238 a gallon, um, you know, really you'd be paying $2 a gallon, right. you know, if the, if the tax wasn't there and that's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's not, that's not super good. Um, uh, schools, Dan, let's transition and talk about this a little this bit. This is your man. favorite topic. I, oh, I love schools, man. Schools are great. You know, um, education is important. And I still have children that, you know, that are elementary school age. So, you know, the school thing isn't like, you know, just something that like, uh, I'm hearing about, I'm living it. In fact, uh, I'm working from uh, my home office today and, um, I am uh, periodically stopping what I'm doing to go and make sure that my children are Zoom learning uh, correctly. Uh, not every parent can do that. I feel very fortunate, you know, that I can at least pause a couple times a day and check in and see what's going on. And by a couple times a day, I mean like 12 to 15 times a day because, you know, the power of the of the iPad is 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 strong. Uh, but there's a report that came out um, that we reported on this week. Uh, about the percentage of students who are not logging on at all. And that number is like 25% across the state. Tell yeah. me about this. This is bananas. So uh, the state is not um, compiling specific data um, on school attendance, um, unfortunately, probably should be. Um, but there's anecdotal evidence from school districts who are reporting this that uh, you said 25%, one in every four students uh, may not be logging on for remote learning at all. Not like for one class or this class or a class they don't like or they're having issues with con connectivity issues with Zoom. They're just not logging in at all. Um, and, you know, again, there's no specific data to say what percentage of those students are in um, min minority families, what percentage are in lower income families or whatever. But you know, it's this is hurting minority families and lower income income families the most um the generally or one parent families um where you know the single parent has to work and can't pay as much attention as you can to your your students remote learning you know these people are already behind um and already have more challenges than uh, than other students they're just going to fall further and further behind yeah, and I'll tell you what's what's confusing this even 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 more is, you know, um, when it will end. Schools have been trying up our way, and 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 there is some data available on the um, uh, Illinois State Board of Education website that that gives you you know an idea of what schools are back in, you know, how many schools are back in, how many schools are remote. It's incomplete data, like virtually everything else that the state provides, but it's it's incomplete data. It still it gives you a little bit of a picture. Um, and schools in particular up our way, you know, in the in the suburbs of uh, of Chicago are starting to go back toward a hybrid model where the students are, you know, going going back to school for a couple of days a week and then working from home or learning from home two or three days a week. I got a message from a, uh, a good friend of mine who is a superintendent of schools and the CD, and it was about this, the CDC yesterday, the Centers for Disease 
control and, and infections in um, or in prevention. Sorry, I, 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 I don't know why they don't put their full title in their acronym. The CDC, you know, our, our you know, immunology brain trust, the people who track infectious diseases for us, they once again changed the definition of close contact. And the, the definition used to be someone who spent at least 15 consecutive minutes within six feet of a confirmed coronavirus case. Okay. Right. It's, it is now um, defining it, it as close contact is someone who is within six feet of an infected individual for a total of 15 minutes in a 24 hour period. So the superintendent who reached out to me was like, within minutes of receiving this story or seeing the story, which was, I, I believe, first published by the Washington Post, she was already hearing from unions about teachers in schools. Within, yeah. within minutes, the, the story was being forwarded to her. Unfortunately, it's the teacher, teachers unions across the country um, that have been um, pushing back against school boards and school administrations about reopening schools, even though the teachers know that in-person learning is vastly uh, better than this remote learning that's been going on. Um, so it doesn't surprise me, to be honest with you. Uh, teachers unions have not, not, not all teachers unions, but a lot of them, uh, uh, teachers unions have been pushing back on going back to school. And, and, and frankly, you know, I don't get it. My daughter started the hybrid model, as you mentioned, um, about two weeks ago, she's mm -hmm. been doing it for about two weeks. I should say things are going well. Um, as far as I know, no, no outbreaks at their school. Now there was one school in the same district that the, my daughter's in a, in all in a high school district that has four high schools. Um, uh, administrators did close down one of the four high schools, but they didn't say, they said because of COVID-19, but they didn't announce how many, um, how many cases there were. I think you might've heard. Uh, it was rumored to be about 20. 20. In a school that's probably. Mm, I looked it up. It's 1,200 yeah, students. I was going to say between 1,000 and 1,500. Yeah. 1,200 yeah. students. So 20 on a percentage basis, that is uh, pretty small. Yeah. Yep. Pretty and, of course, and and we know from, again, eight, nine months of data that, that younger people generally um, uh, don't get sick. Um, in many cases, don't show any, uh, 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 any signs that they have it. But um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. So much good news to talk about this week, Dan. Thank you for being part of the uplifting hour here in Illinois crosstalk. It's actually, it's, I, it, I mean, we're cruising toward, uh, toward the election. The election is November 3rd. Of course, early voting um, is open now. Um, I think, you know, there's, there's a, uh, there's a lot of tension around um, most of the issues that are, are, are present in, in the, uh, in the country and, and here at home in the state. I hope everybody's doing okay. And I mean that in all sincerity. You know, we're going to get through this. This is not pretty. It hasn't been pretty. Um, you know, the, the the pushback on on our individual freedom over the last X number of months has been, I think it's been a lot for some people to take. Too much for, for some of, of, of those people. But we're going to we're going to get through this thing. Um, you know, I look forward to, you know, uh, an update in the not too distant future on uh, vaccine and vaccine distribution. Pritzker. Um, our governor 
here, uh, J.B. Pritzker said that uh, that he was, you know, making a pathway for what the distribution pattern would look like. That's an encouraging thing. Um, you know, we've heard from different people at different times that, you know, it was looking like delivery of a, of a, of a vaccine might be coming in December. Um, and uh, that has been uh, not verified, but it's been spoken of with some level of of certainty or target in that 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 vaccine distribution would occur between December and May. A lot of people uh, have already said not interested in taking it. <laughs> so, but the idea that it's available, I think, is is a is a positive uh, for those who um, would so choose to go that route. Yeah, one thing Governor Pritzker did say this week was that um, even if a, a vaccine is available. Um, in December or January or whenever it is, it would not be widely available to Illinois residents for most uh, Illinois residents until months um, after it's put into uh, mm -hmm. use um, for the more vulnerable communities and, and healthcare workers and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, Dan, it's always a pleasure to talk with you on the Crosstalk segment, and uh, I look forward to catching up with you again next week. And producer John, um, might have some support stuff for us next week. I don't know what he's working on, but he's you know, he's got something big up his sleeve. Can't wait. Yeah, the show will be good. So that's something to tune into next week. For Dan McCaleb, this has been Chris Krug. You've been listening to the Illinois in Focus podcast. Now over to Greg Bishop with a look at what the Center Square will be working on next week. Next week, we'll continue to track the fallout from Governor J.B. Pritzker's COVID-19 mitigation strategy and its impact on the economy. We'll also continue to review the issues and races important for taxpayers as we get even closer to the November 3rd general election. This has been Illinois in Focus. For more Illinois stories and commentary online, visit thecentersquare.com. For the Center Square, Illinois, I'm Greg Bishop.